It is a privilege just to be here, to be together, uh, to share this time in God's word. And so let's bring that time before him in prayer specifically. Lord Jesus, thank you for your presence among us. Thank you for your life in us. Thank you, Lord, for the way you encourage us, the way you teach us, the way you admonish us. And I would pray, Father, that you'd give me your words to say and that you would give each of us ears to hear what you would speak to our lives that we might be more like you, more reflecting your life in us, that others might know and love you in the days ahead. So thank you, Jesus, for this time. We commit it to you under your protection and to your glory. Amen. Amen. If you are just joining us, you know that we're in the embarking on a series. We started last week with part one on really kind of the foundations of who we are as abundant life. We talk about them as four themes or four values. Sometimes people say four pillars. But it essentially is that sense of, well, who has God made us? And what's the direction that he's taking us? And the the expression of this came out of an effort between the elders and the pastors over three years ago when we were just saying, you know, Lord, it's, it's important to give voice to who you've created us to be. And out of that came these four values. One is that we would be a church that worships God. Because it all starts with God and the best and most immediate and the deepest response we can give to God, first and foremost, is what? Is worship. Is to be before him out of that heart place to say, Lord, you are God. You are the creator. I am the person who's been created by you. So we worship God. The second value that that came out of that is that we grow in Christ. Because The Lord saved us for a purpose, and part of that purpose is that we would know Jesus more and more, that we would grow into him. And when we talk about discipleship and things like that, we're talking about growing in Christ. But as God fashions a church, as he builds a community, he brings every member into that just as he's purposed to do. And each member has gifts and talents and abilities and experiences and perspectives that need to be part of the body. And in that, we serve one another. That's really the third value, to serve one another, to use that each and every week as we do that. God, the Bible says that we are filled more and more up with his presence and so that we experience the greater fullness of the Lord. And then finally, the Lord has not made us just a Christian club with exclusive membership, but he's actually brought us together so that we can go out into the world and take his good news to people that haven't heard it yet. To not only take it in voice, but also in action, in word and in deed. And so with that, we, our fourth value is to reach out to all. So we worship God, we grow in Christ, we serve one another, and we reach out to all. That's who God has shaped abundant life to be. That is what God is calling us to continue to be. And that's the direction in which we're heading. And so we felt that it's important to really just kind of focus on that during this series. So last week you heard about growing and you heard about worship and what that means from our our guest worship speakers. This day I'm privileged just to sort of talk about growing in Christ, something that is hugely part of who God has made me to be. And so I just look forward to sharing that. Next week, uh, Pastor Eric will come and he'll speak to us about serving one another. And Pastor Marcus will speak to us about reaching out to all. So and then I think Pastor Toby bats clean up after that really to kind of tie that all together. So this is just we're excited about this series as a leadership team. And we just pray that God would really further that. So what do we mean by growing in Christ? 
Here's what we mean. We mean to grow in Christ is really to become more like him. It is to grow in the word. The scripture says to grow in the image of Christ. And Romans 8:29 specifically says that when we grow in Christ, it looks like this for God. For those that God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In other words, before you were ever made, God planned you to become more and more like Jesus. That from wherever you started over the course of your life, whatever time you have on earth, you're more and more resembling Jesus Christ in thought, in word, in deed, in heart. So to grow in Christ means to become like Christ. So I guess we're kind of done. So and I just wanted to share that with you. Uh, We'll close in prayer. No, that's not really all that is to grow in Christ. We're going to look at our text because Paul in his letter to Colossians, this is the text for us, really talks not so much about how to grow in Christ, but what growth in Christ looks like. And I don't know about you, but I typically, I, the kind of conversations I have pastorally from time to time, I meet some people that are in this kind of overly concerned about their growth mindset. They're trying to say, man, I just don't think I'm growing. And so I ask them, what do you mean by that? And they say, well, I, uh, I don't think I'm reading the scripture enough. I'm not reading diligently. And then I talk to a friend of mine and they're reading the Bible through in a year. In fact, they're ahead of it. They're already into May and it's here in February. They're reading more Bible than I am. I'm just reading the daily bread or somebody's praying. I just had a friend of mine tell me over coffee that they had two hours alone with the Lord in prayer over the weekend. I'm like, I'm lucky if I can just say a prayer when I'm driving the kids to school or just pray before everybody leaves the house. Or somebody just went off on a missions trip and they were hugely blessed by taking medical supplies to a a faraway place to people that desperately need it. And I'm passing up the Salvation Army red kettle on my way into Target. You know, there's people that feel so anxious and so guilty about the fact that they're not growing. They're overly concerned. And so the word today is you'd be surprised how much you're actually growing, whether you know it or not. But then there's another group of people, sort of the underconcerned, and they're the ones that say, I say, so how's, you know, how's your fellowship? How's your connection? Like, yeah, it's whatever. And I, well, what do you mean by it's whatever? Well, it means that I got saved by the Lord. I'm so thankful for that. And I'm just kind of living life because I know I'll see him soon enough. And I'm not in a big hurry to learn a bunch. I could pop into church. I may not. It's okay. I see a religious show now and again, touched by an angel. I, something that makes me feel like I'm kind of connected. Those would be people that are under concerned. And what I want to say, if if you're kind of feeling that way is if you really realized how much God had for you in terms of the life of impact that he's planned and the plans that he has, you'd be a lot less under concerned and a lot more engaged with where he's taking you. So that's what growth means. So whether you're over concerned, I'm not growing enough or under concerned. I'm not really sure what the value is. I pray that this is the message for you. So let's stand because this is the way we honor the reading of God's word. Uh, We're going to read Colossians 1 verses 3 and 4, and then we're going to skip down to verses 9 through 12. Colossians 1, beginning in verse 3 and 4. If you don't have the word of God in front of you, it will be on the screen. Beginning verse 3 of Colossians 1. Here's Paul. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. 
Now down to verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Please be seated. Boy, you can hear Paul's enthusiasm already as it, as it comes through in this thing. He's saying, I'm so glad to hear of your faith that you are in Christ, but I'm even more glad to hear that that faith is being lived out by the way you're loving other people. So he's, pretty pumped up about that. And so he starts with that joyful report. But like the good shepherd that he is, he's not content to leave this body of new Christians right in that place. He knows that God has further growth for them. And so then in verse nine, he begins to talk about what that looks like. He talks about it in the form of a prayer that he has for them. Praise that the Holy Spirit would give them all wisdom and spiritual understanding that they may know more and more what it means to live a life worthy of the Lord and to please him in every way. So what's Paul saying? Is Paul talking about growth here? No, he's not really talking about growth. There's no how to. There's no exhortation to read their Bible. There's no exhortation to pray more. There's no exhortation to give sacrificially here or to serve more faithfully. No, he's saying he is assuming that growth happens as somebody lives their life in a manner worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ. As someone lives out their calling, guess what? The growth will happen. As you pursue the Lord, the growth will happen. So for those of you that are a little over-anxious about whether you're growing or not, and you feel kind of almost shamed by your friends that seem to be doing more, growth is happening as you follow Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is saying. Oftentimes he'll use the analogy, the metaphor of a small child growing up. You know, in 1 Corinthians 3, he does this. He does it in kind of a rebuke format. He says, you guys are like spiritual babies. You ought to be more adolescents or adults, but you're still acting like your babies. And that's an intentional metaphor. Why? Because when a, when a child is small or an infant, they don't plan to grow. You don't find your four-year-old saying, hey, I'm going to work hard and then I'm going to be this tall or I'm going to be seven, or I'm going to be nine. The child just grows in the way that God's already designed through DNA. As long as the child is nourished, the child will become an adult physiologically. See, so Paul is saying in the very same way, as long as you follow Christ, he'll bring the growth. As long as you live your life as unto the Lord, he'll bring that growth. So that's actually fairly encouraging, I think, in many ways, we don't have to sweat that, but we do have to be focused, therefore, on what Paul is focusing the Colossians are. And what is that? Very specifically, if you start again in verse in verse 10, he says what he says that growth growth begins really with a purpose. If you want to grow in Christ, you have to have a mindset. You have to set your mind specifically in that direction. I was watching, um, you might get a few Olympic analogies in this thing. I've been kind of dialed into the Olympics. I don't know, any other Olympic watchers here? 
Okay, thank the four of you. I'm really thankful for you guys. Uh, I don't know what the rest of you guys are watching, or maybe you just don't care. Um, but in the Olympics, you have Todd Ligeti, excuse me, Ted Ligeti, who won the men's giant slalom gold medal. Yay. Fantastic. Go USA. He didn't get on his first pair of skis until he was about age 10. But as soon as he got on them, he set his mind to become better and better, to become Olympic quality. He just sort of got there. And so his growth was measured in terms of his progress towards that goal. What's our purpose? That, that growth begins with a purpose. The purpose in, in verse 10 is what? So that we would live a life worthy of Jesus Christ. You know, if Ted Ligeti wanted to be an Olympic skier, but was spending his time playing chess or just hanging out, doing video games or just not skiing, you would say he had a goal, but he wasn't making any progress. The goal that God gives us in this verse is that we would become live a life worthy of Jesus Christ. And that's interesting because so many of us don't feel like we're worthy. We don't feel like like we we're able to do that. We're so in touch with our own challenges, our own issues. They're like, Lord, how do I live a life that's worthy of you? I feel so unworthy in my own way. I don't. I don't even know where to begin with that. Lord, help me understand who you are. It's kind of like some of us feel like um, I watched a while back The Man of Steel. If anybody saw the movie The Man of Steel, it is the latest incarnation of the Superman story. It is, you know, Superman is sent to Earth by his dad from Krypton. He's a baby. He's raised by parents, the earthly parents. They don't know where he's from, and he doesn't know where he's from. So he grows up. He has these capabilities and powers that other kids don't have, but he's kind of confused. He, don't know, he doesn't know where he's from. He doesn't know why he's here. He doesn't know who sent him, and he doesn't know what he's supposed to do. Sometimes we feel like that. It's like, Lord, what, what's the purpose? Why, do, why am I here? It just, seems, it just seems like there's so much challenge in my life. I'm not sure. Why, how is this blessing you or anybody else? And then if you know the story, you know that he goes to some very cold place where his dad has set up this pretty high-tech display that starts to tell him where he's from, what family he belongs to, what he was meant to do, his purpose, his real name, and the powers that he has, and how they're to be used. And, and in, a, in a real analogy, that's kind of what Paul is directing the Colossians to do here. He is saying to the Colossians, as you connect with the Lord, he will tell you what to do, and who you are, and to whom you belong and what your life purpose is, and what your goals are, and what powers you have, and what help you'll get along the way. You know, hasn't Jesus done more for us than just save us? Yeah, what, what has he done? There's any number of things that we could list, but I'm going to list just a few of them so that we would know, and each of us would know, just how worthwhile you are to Christ. He didn't just save us, but he gave us a new life. He didn't just save us, but he made you holy and set you apart. He didn't just save you, but he made you belong, put you into a family. He didn't save you only, but he made you rich. What am I talking about? Did he give us a new life? Yes, he did. Second Corinthians five seventeen for you note takers. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new is here. Aren't you glad you're a new creation in Jesus? Aren't you thankful that you got to put away all that old stuff and that some of the stuff that you were kind of hanging on to, the Lord said, you still need to give that one up too. And eventually you bring that forward. Maybe some of you guys are hanging on to a few more old things. 
Okay, well, bring those forward. Give those to God. You are no longer the person you used to be, but you are a new creation. That's what Jesus did. He made us a new creation and he set us apart. He made us holy. It's like holy. I don't feel holy. I actually feel like I'm just kind of part of the world, like I'm sort of dumped on from time to time. I just I've got, you know, thinking and and comments. I I don't always reflect the life of Christ in me. That's what you might be saying to yourself. And I think everybody could say that. So I don't feel holy. I don't feel set apart. But let me tell you that that feeling isn't the reality. The reality is you are holy. You have been set apart. When we think of holiness, it's introduced in the Old Testament as that place where the Lord dwelt, first in the tabernacle and then in the temple. The Holy of Holies was that room in which the Ark of the Covenant and the presence of the Lord was a place of purity. The temple itself is described in, in, the, in the Old Testament and First Kings with great precision. The stones that are quarried on the outside and brought to the building site. The cedar wood that's used on the inside and the gold inlay in the very inner sanctuary. You get the feeling that the temple is not random. It is precise. It is done by God's design and it is meant to be beautiful, both outside and inside. And why? Because that is befitting of where the presence of the Lord needs to be. But if you know your Bible history, you know that that temple was destroyed. Why? Because God said it would be if Solomon or his descendants, the people stopped obeying and following Christ or following God. And they did rebel and they stopped obeying and the temple was destroyed. But God was not done bringing his presence to us. And when Jesus rose from the dead and he came to his disciples, he breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And in Acts, Pentecost came and now the Holy Spirit was among them. And the Holy Spirit says Paul was what? In each believer. In every one of us is God's spirit. No longer do we have to go to a temple to find the presence of God, but by his wonderful, incomprehensible grace and mercy, his spirit is in each one of us and his spirit is in this sanctuary wherever two or three are gathered. It is an awesome and a mighty reality. It doesn't depend on your feeling. It is the plain truth of scripture. So if God went to all that trouble on building materials just to house his presence, how much trouble is he going to to shape you, the living, created being that he loves so much, to be the, the receptacle, the vessel of God's spirit? That's why you're holy. That's why you're set apart. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6 that you're not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. It says this is why sexual immorality, sex outside of the marriage covenant, isn't on, isn't right, because you are so holy, because you house the Holy Spirit. It's not that God's a killjoy or he doesn't get the culture or all that stuff. No, he gets it. But what he says is you've been set apart from it because that's not where life is. Life is in me. So if you're not feeling worthy, know that God has saved you. Know that God has given you new life. Know that you're holy and set apart. Know, here's the fourth item, know that you belong. You belong to a family. Not all of our families of origin were kind of uh, posters for great families. Some of us didn't have parents. Some of us were missing one parent. Some of us were in places of conditional love or verbal abuse or whatever. 
They weren't families that were the kind that God would put us in. But the Bible says, first John three, first John three, one says that God has see what great love the father has lavished on us, that we should be called what children of God. And that is what we are. Psalm 68, he puts the lonely into families. God does not want us to be isolated. He recognizes that sin has ruined every good institution, every good and wonderful thing that he's ever intended it to be, including families. And so he says, you know what? I'm creating a new family. It's called the family of God. It's called this church. In this local context, it's called abundant life. In your more micro context, it's called your growth group. It's called people that know what's going on. And this is the family the way he intended it, where you belong, where you're loved, where you're cared for, where you're challenged, where you're uplifted, where you're supported. So getting the picture, if you don't feel worthy, just go down the list of what God has done for you. We've just covered a few of them so that we would know how much God has done for us and that we would know that we can indeed live a life worthy of the calling that he's given us. So if you're not feeling worthy, that's just a feeling. That's not the reality. God has made you worthy by what he's done. So we live a life worthy of the Lord. And we what? And we please him in every way. It's the other part of this purpose. You know, if you want to grow, you live a life worthy of the Lord. And you want to please him in every way. So how many people really, a little quiz thing, how many people really think that God is pleasable? Okay. Anybody think God is unpleasable? You can just do a little side hand raise if you don't want to be. Uh, come on. Anybody? All right. There's a few, a few, a few uh, honest people. Why do I say that? Because I know oftentimes the reality is we don't think that God is a pleasable God. Or maybe we do theologically, but in our hearts, we're so aware of our own stuff, our own sin, our own failings, our own shortcomings, our own bad attitudes, our own you know, driving habits. All those things. And we say, look, honestly, God is not pleased with me. And if he is pleased with me, I'm not sure what kind of God that is. But we tend to confuse things. We think of please when we think of pleasing that way, we're often thinking about uh, being God being pleased like our parents were pleased or weren't pleased. You know, the kind of parents, if you had them where, where you came home with three A's and a B, they laser in on the B and they go, how come you got a B? And you're like, what about the three A's? And they say, what part of 4.0 don't you understand? And you're like, but I was working hard. This is sort of that I please somebody with results. But that's not actually how this term is meant in Paul's letter to the Colossians. It's not pleasing God based on your results. It's pleasing God based on your intention and your efforts. And that's why we can please God. God isn't looking for perfection, but he's looking for faithfulness. A parent may be upset about a, a B instead of A's. But the parent that Paul's envisioning is the one who says, hey, way to go. Way to get stuck into your homework this semester. I'm so glad for that extra effort. I'm so glad you're taking that seriously. I just want to encourage you. Being delighted in the intention of the heart. Being delighted in the effort that's being made. You know what? When you're purposeful and diligent on intention and effort, the results will follow. They may not follow perfectly, but they'll follow more and more as you're intentional and you're focused on the effort. And when we talk about pleasing God in every way, when Paul's talking about it, he's talking about, yes, you can please God by how you go about things. When you get up in the morning and you say, 
Lord, um, you know, think about what you're there to do today. And you say, Lord, I just want to give my day to you. I got this meeting coming up and I have or that school or that connection with a friend or this family situation or whatever it is. In every one of those, Lord, I want to please you. I don't own the result. Paul said again to the Corinthians, I planted Apollos water watered, but God caused the growth. He's not holding Paul accountable for growth or Apollos accountable for growth or you accountable for growth. He says, you can please me by what you do and how you do it. That's all. I'll bring the fruit. And isn't that, doesn't that actually relieve a fair amount of burden? Doesn't that actually encourage us to know that we can please the Lord by what we do? I hope it does. And so that's really the growth has a purpose that we would live a life that that um, is worthy of God and that we would please him in every way. But then Paul describes he goes on to describe what that actually looks like. I call them elements of growth. Again, I said he's not telling you how to grow, but he is giving you some ways to look at what growth looks like. We call them elements of growth. Um, elements I learned when I was watching ice skating this past week that elements are technical elements that any kind of skater has to do in order to show proficiency in the sport. And so they come in a couple forms. They come in the forms of jumps. You have a triple toed loop or a triple sow cow or a double axle or something like that. And they come in the form of spins. You can have a layback spin, a camel spin. Uh, if you're really having a bad night on the ice, a tail spin. You can have some things that are just like, wow. But those are the elements that you have to do in order to show proficiency. And Paul, in the next series, in verses 10 through 12, begins to call out some of those elements. He, what are they? Bearing fruit in every good work. Growing in the knowledge of God. Being strengthened with all power. Joyfully giving thanks. Like an ice skater, these are elements that point to growth. But what's different about that, and an ice, an ice skater has to go through a lot of effort to make those elements a reality of their routine and get to a place of Olympic ability. They're working hard. They're hours on the ice. They've got coaches. They've got all kinds of stuff. They're working as hard as they know how to get better and better. But that's where it's different. We don't necessarily have to work on each of these elements because it is God who's doing these things inside of us. God is the one who's causing the growth. God is the one that's enabling us to increase in knowledge. And so there's a difference. But these are elements nonetheless. These are ways to to that. If you look at that, you can say, Lord, am I growing in you? And I hope the answer is yes. Like those elements, jumps or spins. I'm giving these names as well. Let's look at that first one. Bearing fruit in every good work. What does that mean? I call that the element of impact. That when you're, when you're living your life as unto the Lord, whatever you're doing unto Him is actually bearing fruit. You're, you're bearing fruit in every good work. Everything that you do unto the Lord is glorifying Him, and that's going to bear fruit. Sometimes you're the only one who knows it. Sometimes it's in that situation where you had to exercise some shut mouth grace in the middle of a situation. Somebody was working your nerve, some colleague at work or somebody in your family. And the good work that you were doing was what was not responding. That's a good word. You realize how much you can accomplish for God by not opening your mouth sometimes. It's really great. So sometimes God has us do that. And we just respond, even though everything in our mind is saying, I really want to tell this person off. We feel the Spirit saying, no, don't say anything. Don't, don't say that. That's not of God. 
That's coming from another place. And so you respond to him. And when you respond to him, I would ask you to do this. I would ask you to hear his response. We were talking just a few minutes ago about the fact that you can please God. Too often we don't think we please God because we don't listen for the Holy Spirit saying, you're my boy. That was great. Or you're my girl. That was wonderful. You didn't respond in that situation when you were tempted to do so. And I'm pleased with you because you're reflecting me. You're living your life in a manner worthy of the Lord. And so that's bearing fruit in a little thing. Yes, fruit bearing has that kind of classic Matthew 25 element to it, where you, if you give uh, water to a thirsty person or as you visit the sick in the hospital or those that are in prison, those are the things that you do for the least of the Lord's brothers that you do unto him. Those things are absolutely true. Those are kind of the classic good works. But so often what we do when we talk about good works is behind the scenes. It's not up front, and oftentimes it's very routine or repetitive. If you're putting a meal on for a family member each and every night, you know, you might think that's pretty routine and pretty tiring. But if you're doing it as under the Lord, you're bearing fruit. You're pleasing him. You're showing your family member his love. And he's delighted in that. And... In that very moment, in those moments, you are growing in Christ. So if you haven't hit your Bible reading plan, or you haven't prayed that extra hour that you wanted to, or you're not able to be on that ministry team for the last few weeks, as you reach out today or tonight, as you take care of those that God has put in your circle, you're growing in Christ. You're bearing fruit in every good work. So that's the element of impact. You do that over and over again. Any parent or aunt, uncle, anybody, if you've got young people in your life, and if you're faithfully showing Christ out of love and affection and tenderness, they will grow up to know a God who is love and affectionate and tender. They don't get to know it overnight. They get to know it as each day or every opportunity you communicate that. Consistency, quiet stuff, but deliberate bit by bit. So that's impact that that's bearing fruit in every good work. What's the second one that's listed? It's growing. It's increasing in the knowledge of God. Well, that sounds kind of intellectual, doesn't it? Increasing the knowledge of God. I'll, I'm back to my Bible study again. Hey, I'm not a reader, so I don't like that. Maybe I could watch it on Blu-ray. We get all mixed up on trying to get Bible knowledge into our head. And I will talk about that in a moment. But the point I want to make here is what this scripture is talking about when it talks about increasing in knowledge is not so much from the head as it is from the heart. Not so much intellectual as it is relational. Much more about your love relationship with Jesus Christ than about your knowledge of Jesus Christ. How many years he lived, how long he walked, how many miracles he did, etc., uh, etc. Et that's all interesting and has its place, but that's not what's being talked about here. What's being talked about is the love of God. Um, God is what? Love, says First John. You cannot talk about a relationship with God with any other word but love. And so when we talk about elements, we talked about impact. When we talk about increasing the knowledge of, of God, we're talking about love. If you're taking notes and wanting scripture references, John 15, 9 to 11 says this. It says, as the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. 
If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you this so that your joy, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made complete. Just think about that for a moment. First of all, Jesus is saying, I'm asking you to do what I've already done with the Father and what I continue to do. I continue to be in a love relationship with him that I demonstrate by doing what he says because he is my Father and I am the Son. And we would say, Lord, I want to be in a love relationship with you and I want to demonstrate that by following where you're leading, by doing what you say because you love me and you created me. And I reflect that. So growing in the, increasing the knowledge of God is to increase That sense of love. You have to have God in your life in order to love other people, don't you? Oh, boy. I mean, if you try it on your own, you're not going to get very far. It's like I'm going to be loving that person. And, you know, within five minutes of the next conversation, bam, things are falling out again. They're unhappy. You're unhappy. Somebody goes for a drive. The other person watches TV. It's all kinds of stuff that happens when we try to do things under our own effort. But when you say, Lord, I need your power and presence to love even those I really want to love well, Lord, I need to love them with your love, then God is saying in this passage, you're increasing in your knowledge of God. You're finding his grace and his ability to love that person. So if you want to know if you're growing in the Lord, I would say, is your love increasing for those around you? Is your love for God increasing first and foremost? We can only love others with the love that God pours into us first. So is your love increasing first for God? Pray for that. I do. I pray all the time. Lord, help me increase my love for you. Help increase my love for those around me, for my wife, for my child, for uh, my ministry colleagues. Not that I don't love them, but I can love them more. And I want to be more like Christ. And that just has to be a prayer and a plea. So pray those things. Know that, however, that the, as, you, as you think about growing in the knowledge of God, the Bible does play just an absolute central part. The Bible isn't, as you heard me say, just about knowledge of things and events. It is very much an encounter with the living, risen, powerful, all-loving, almighty Jesus Christ. The first verses in the Gospel of John say what? In the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. He's talking about Jesus. This is an encounter with the risen Lord. When you open this up, when you look at printed letters on a page, when you start to read, you should see it as seeing being connected directly with Christ in a real way. This is the word of God. It is a profound mystery in the Christian faith that that this printed book engages us with the living Christ. It is like a spiritual Skype that if you open it up and you connect, you're saying, Lord, I want to see your face. I want to hear your voice. I want to talk to you about things in my life. I want to talk to you about stuff I'm going through. I want to hear what you want to say to me about that. When we get friends on Skype, we're interacting. We're trying to hear what's going on in their life. We want them to understand what's going on in our life. You open up the word of God and you approach it in that way with reverence and fear. But you approach it with boldness and you say, Lord, speak to me. And he will. So we grow in the knowledge of God. We grow in that love relationship with him as we pray and ask him to fill us up as we encounter him in his word. And if we're doing those things, we're growing. That would be the element. What's the third element? The third element is what I call power being strengthened with all God's power, according to his glorious might. 
What does that look like? What does that sound like? I asked a colleague, I said, when you think of God's power, give me a metaphor, an example, what that, what that sounds like to you. She said, Popeye, spinach, that whole thing. I'm like, really? Well, explain that. Well, if you know that cartoon, whenever Popeye was in trouble with Bluto, which was every time, uh, he would be tied down and he would be weakened and he was just about to be done until he had what? Spinach. And however it got into his system, you know, there's always some clever way that he got that. And when he got that, he became strengthened. He burst the bonds that were binding him and he beat up on Bluto and he saved olive oil. And this went on time and time again. I don't know why we watched it so frequently, but we did because nothing ever changed. But that's sort of Popeye power. Now, that is in Scripture in terms of the breakthrough, in terms of God making a mighty way. You just know that when when David was raised up by God to slay Goliath on paper, those that was not a fair fight. But because God was in it, it made all the difference. Breakthrough power that God gives us. Sometimes, though, oftentimes in in David's life, God's power wasn't manifest like that. There were times where his power was not seen. It was more underground. It's behind the scenes. It wasn't as visible. What am I talking about? I'm talking about, for example, the time when David, who had already been anointed by Samuel to be the next king, and Saul's kingdom had been taken away from him. All that was on paper, as it were. Saul didn't like that idea, and so he pursued David relentlessly to kill him. And as David was fleeing for his life, he had the kind of power that's being talked about in verse 11. He had the power that enabled him to have great endurance and patience. Enduring the fact that rather than being crowned king like Samuel had anointed him, he was having to run for his life. That takes great endurance. And then there were times where he was actually where twice where Saul was brought right into David's sights and David could have taken his life. And he had his his band of guys saying, hey, now's your time. It doesn't get any better than this. Now's the time to take Saul's life. And David refuses because he knows it's not of God. And he was content to let God move his way in his time in David's life. But that took patience. It took great endurance. And this is the power that's being talked about here. If you want to know if you're growing in Christ, look at the kind of power that God is supplying in your life so that you have great endurance and patience with whatever you're going through. You know, in this church, we often pray for people to have healing of whatever kind, physical healing or emotional healing. And there are a variety of testimonies to God's faithfulness in answering those prayers, x-rays that come back clear and people whose issues that were confounding the doctors seem to be resolved. We give God thanks and praise for that. But we also know there's members of our church who have chronic health issues, who the health issues or or. Um, disability kinds of things that aren't going to change before they go home to be with the Lord or he comes again. But are they not experiencing God's power in that? No, they're not necessarily experiencing that breakthrough healing power, but they are experiencing the kind of power that provides great endurance and patience as they go along the way. And they're praying, they're crying out and they're saying, Lord, help me go another day. And the Lord says, I will sustain you. Help me, Lord, because I don't know if I can hang on. And the Lord says, I'll send you somebody from your growth group. Help me, Lord. And the Lord says, hey, I will be your peace and your provision in ways that you haven't even thought or imagined yet. 
There's so many ways when we reach out to God. We experience in those times the same thing that Paul did in 2 Corinthians 12 when he prayed three times for the thorn in the flesh to be removed. And the Lord said, I am not removing it. I'm not giving you a taste of my breakthrough power, but I'm giving you a taste of my enduring power. And Paul then learns to rejoice in that. Why? Because he knows that God's power is perfected in his weakness. And so where's God's power manifest in your life? If you want to know if you're growing in the Lord, say, Lord, I need power here. And then stand back and let him bring that power. Pray for breakthrough power. But if you need the power that's great endurance and patient along the way, pray for that as well. And you will see that. And when you experience it and when you walk in it, you'll know it because you're less isolated. You're not blaming God for what's going on. And you're in a place of peace that transcends understanding. That does guard your heart and your mind in his name. Tremendously powerful. How am I growing? Am I experiencing God's peace and God's power? How am I growing? Am I growing in love? How am I growing? Am I doing good works and bearing fruit in that? Am I seeing God work in that? And then the final way, the final element in which we grow is through gratitude, through thanksgiving. You see that in verse 12 where Paul says, He says, and giving joyful thanks to the father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people. You know, Paul often puts that that exhortation to give God thanks in the middle of really challenging circumstances. Like, why does he do that? Was he just like he's just, you know, messing with me? I want to praise God for all the good things that are going on in my life. And there's a lot of good things. We have things when, when you get a promotion, you're praising God. When your kids get four A's instead of three, you're praising God. When your, the car works and starts in the morning, you're praising God. We can praise God for good things. But Paul says you've got to praise God for all things. To the Thessalonians, he writes, give praise, give thanks in all circumstances. If you know anything about the Thessalonians, earlier on he'd said, you guys are going through the same kind of persecution that the church in Jerusalem was going through. So give God thanks in that. Paul does combine hard circumstances with an attitude of thanksgiving. Now, is that just spiritualizing things? You know, how you doing? Oh, I'm praising God. No. He, you know what he wants out of thanksgiving? You know when you give God thanks in the midst of hard times? You're actually saying, not only to yourself, but to those around you, And to the enemy, God is in charge and he will see me through and he is not done. And the gates of hell will not prevail over what I'm going through. God is in charge. And I, the best way I know how to do that is to just give him thanks and praise. So there's so much power in thanksgiving. There's huge, mighty movements of God that are unleashed when you give him praise. It's why Paul says to do that. So does Paul tell us in this passage how to grow? No. But he does tell us what growth looks like. Growth looks like giving God gratitude in the midst of hard times. Growth looks like receiving his power just to hang on and to have great endurance. Growth looks like growing in your love relationship with God first and letting that spill over into the lives of those around you. And growth looks like having an impact for time and eternity every day of your life just by being faithful. Not by owning the result, but by owning the effort. If we do those things, we are living a life worthy of the Lord and we are pleasing him in every way. And what is true, just let me close with a few reflections. What is true for us as individuals is very much true for us as a church. We want to be a church that has impact. And so we have to be one that says, Lord, I want to live my life. We want to live as a body for you. We're not going to do it perfectly, but we are going to do it faithfully.
Lord, I come before you with humility, not superiority or a sense of haughtiness about my gifts and things that you've given me, but just to say, lead me, Lord. You've made us as a body so worthy by what you have done. We're not worthy in ourselves, but you have made us so. Help us live out of that place of worth and calling. We work as a body and we're able to glorify him. We're able to have impact and we're able to love and we're able to um, show power and be thankful as we're diligent in his calling. We're not doing it randomly or haphazardly. We're not building a temple just by accident, but we're letting the Lord build us into a temple where his power is made manifest, where his love is seen, where we have impact and where we give thanks for all things. Amen. Amen. All right. Would you stand with me? Let's give God.